Hey, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, everybody. It is a thrill and an honor to be here. Um, man, no greater honor in my mind than to bring God's word to God's people, so thank you for, for having me. Um, I want to start today by telling you guys a story, and this is a story that some of you may have heard before, but I think it bears repeating again. And this is the story of Dick and Rick Hoyt. Now, it was January of 1962, and Dick and his wife Judy were anxiously awaiting the birth of their baby boy, Rick. Now, during the delivery, Rick's umbilical cord got tied around his neck, blocking the flow of oxygen to his brain, resulting in cerebral palsy and left him as a quadriplegic. Now, as Dick and Judy left the hospital that day, the doctors came to them and they said, hey, Dick and Judy, um, sorry for this, but we really think that you should put your son in an institution. Um, he's pretty much a vegetable, not going to have a very productive life, um, and it might be best for him, might be best for you. But Dick and Judy were not going to hear that, and they believed their son still had life to live, still had a productive life ahead of them, and boy, were they right. So they brought Rick home, and soon they realized that while physically he was impaired, mentally he was fully functioning. Maybe he couldn't communicate with his mouth, but eventually he was able to communicate with a computer system to speak to them. And they found out a lot about Rick. And one of the things they found out about Rick is that Rick was an avid sports fan. Obviously, he always wanted to play sports, but never could play sports, but loved watching sports. Until he was about 15. And when he was 15, there was a charity run at his school for one of his friends. And he came home and he told his dad, he said, Dad, I want to run in this race. And his dad said, okay, let's do it. And so Dick put his son in a wheelchair that day and pushed his son for an entire five-mile race. Now, I did a 5K two years ago, and I had shin splints for a week afterwards. <laughs> this man pushed his adult child for five miles. Now, after that race, Rick came home and he told his dad these amazing, amazing words. He said, Dad, when I race, I no longer feel handicapped. Man, and that melted his father's heart. But Rick didn't stop there. He said, Dad, I don't just want to run. I want to swim. I want to bike. I want to do triathlons. Now, one thing to know about Dick, Dick was not a runner. He was not a biker. He was not a swimmer. But from that moment on, Dick dedicated his life to making that dream come true for his son. And so day after day, before the break of dawn, Dick would be out there taking cement bags and putting cement bags in a wheelchair and pushing that to train. He put cement bags in a raft and pulled that behind him as he swam, and he found a special two-seater bicycle that he could ride with his son. And the father trained, and he trained, and he trained. And eventually, they got to their first race, and those first races were brutal. I mean, it was hours after anybody had finished the race, and the father was still out there, pulling his son stroke by stroke, pushing him step by step. And they would finish. They'd finish in the pitch black, but they would eventually finish. Now, Dick and Rick started to get a little bit better at this. And today, Dick and Rick have done over a thousand such races. And in 1992, they ran and they biked across the entire United States. What? How is that possible? And if you're a parent in here, you know that's possible because of a father's love for his child. 
And don't you know that this story is one big finger pointing us to our Heavenly Father's love for us? Right? Just like Rick, we come to our Father and we say, Daddy, I want to race. I want to have purpose. I want to have meaning in this life. And our Father comes to us and says, Child, come, rest in me, abide in me, and watch me work. And just like Rick, when we abide in our Father, when we rest in him, man, we can do amazing, amazing things. And that abiding in Jesus is exactly what I want to speak to you guys about today. And so if you have your Bibles, please open them up with me to John 15, 1 through 11. Also, you have these sermon notes in your celebration folder today. Please bring these out. This will help you follow along as well. So a little historical context on John 15, 1 through 11. This is a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And this conversation is happening during the Last Supper, which means this is the night that Jesus was arrested and the day before Jesus was crucified. So Jesus knows this is happening. So these are some of the last words that he has with the disciples. So these are filled, filled with meaning. And honestly, I will not be able to do this passage justice. This really should be a sermon series to talk about this. But what I want to do today is to pull out three key truths, three key truths from this passage, and then we'll talk about some application at the end. But let's start with God's word. John 15, 1 through 11 in the ESV. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Man, this is the word of the Lord. So point number one is this. Point number one is abiding in Jesus is the only way we bear fruit. So we are going to be talking about abiding quite a bit today. So let me start by defining the term. What does abiding mean? Well, to abide means to endure without yielding to remain stable or in a fixed state. And Jesus implies two components of abiding here. The first component is a component of dependence, right? The branch is 100% dependent on the vine. The branch can die, and the vine's fine. In fact, the vine might thrive. But if the vine dies, the branch dies along with it. So the branch is 100% dependent on the vine. 
Now, the second component that he implies is this idea of constant connection. So the branch is constantly connected to the vine. Right? In fact, the, the branch has never existed outside of the vine. The vine grew first, then the branch grows out of it, and the branch is never disconnected from the vine, not even for a moment. Right? You can't take that branch, snip it off for one second, and put it right back on. Right? If you do that, you can staple it back on, but eventually that branch is going to die unless it is constantly connected to the vine. And so when Jesus says abide, he means that we're supposed to be constantly connected and dependent on Jesus, the source of life. So that's, that's abiding. Now the first thing that I want to call out here is that abiding is not just a one-way thing. And this is absolutely incredible. Abiding is a mutual thing. It's a mutual abiding. John 15, 4 says, Abide in me as I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Man, this, this is it blows my mind. If we abide in Jesus, Jesus abides in us. Like, think about that for a second. The same God that holds the constellations in place the same God who keeps this earth rotating at a thousand miles an hour around its axis at the perfect distance away from the sun, that same God is in you if you abide in him. And yet, I so often tiptoe around and think, man, what is going to happen next? What is going to happen tomorrow? Instead of just putting that power within me and walking confidently and boldly, knowing that the God of creation is abiding in me. So the next thing that we see here is the formula for bearing fruit is simple. Abide. That's it. Abide. Verse 5 says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Man, we can, we can obey all the rules. We can, we can try to be a nice person, try harder, but none of it will bear fruit unless we are abiding in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but here, here's the trap that I get caught up in. I think, man, if I could just say the right things, if I could just try harder, if I could just be good enough, man, then I'm going to bear fruit. And then like a branch lying on the ground, I'm there spinning my wheels. And I'm thinking, God, where are you in this moment? And he's saying, abide in me. Man, how, how much better would I be better served if I just spent my time with Jesus, spent my time studying his word or praying after him saying, Jesus, I don't know what today holds, but you do. Lead me and I will follow. I've got this big decision, but God, lead me. You lead me. Let me just abide in you. How much better if I just rested in Jesus? Can I be, can I be honest with you guys? So on my own, I really am a useless branch. I, I don't know what you see when you look at me, but on my own, I really have little to offer. And if you don't believe that, uh, you can talk to my wife for about 30 seconds and she will put you straight. In fact, my mom is here today, so you can even talk to her, talk to them combined, uh, and I probably won't be invited back here. But seriously, the fact that I am on this stage with you just blows my mind, like, what, me? Like, God, I, I fear. 
I doubt. I get anxious. Man, I get way too hot-tempered sometimes. And I fight my pride moment by moment. But, but, but then I remember it's not about me. It's not about what I can do on my own. It's about the Holy Spirit power that's in me. And when I lean into that power, man, watch out, because God can do amazing things when we lean into his power. And church, if God can use a broken sack of flesh and bones like me, imagine what he can do through you. So, we established that abiding in Jesus will result in fruit, but what exactly does he mean by fruit? Uh, for one thing, he does not mean Shakita bananas. Okay, so we're not talking about that, but he, the Bible talks about at least four different types of fruit. And so the first type of fruit that it talks about is impact on others. Right? Later in John 15, Jesus talks about how impacting others to believe in him and to become deeper disciples can be fruit. And who here doesn't want to impact others? Now, the second type of fruit is thankful praise. Right? And a lot of you guys have experienced just those moments where you were just like, man, thank you, Jesus, for the breath. I woke up today. Thank you, Jesus, for this church family. Thank you, Jesus, for the rain. Thank you, Jesus, for all this. That is a fruit. That is the overflowing of God's love for you. Thankful praise is a fruit. The third type of, answered prayer, or a third type of fruit is answered prayer. In John 15, 8, it says, If you abide in me and I in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Right? As we abide in God, our will starts to align with his wills. Our prayers start to align with his will, and he wants to answer our prayers as one of our fruits. And the fourth type is the one that I want to focus on today. And the fourth type is specific character traits of Jesus. Galatians 5, through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Listen, abiding in Jesus fundamentally changes us from the inside out. These characteristics of us start to change. Now, let's be honest, right? When I, when I was reading that list, nobody in here was like, boom, nailed it, Andrew. Joy, love, oh my gosh, you should come to my house and see it sometime. I'm just overflowing in this. No, we all have a ways to go, but, but I think that it's important sometimes for us to look in the rearview mirror and say, yeah, I'm not where I want to be. Eventually, there's a place that I want to be. But I'm a whole lot further than where I used to be. I'm a different person today. A lot of you guys can say that. When I look back, I am changed. I am a different person, and that is the fruit that is coming out within us. And when I think about fruits of the Spirit, I love this body, this body of Christ here, because, man, there are people, when you say joy, oh my gosh, there are people that just pop in my head in this congregation. That person just stands for joy, right? You know those people, right? Or patience or self-control. I'm around a lot of dads and moms of young children, and oh my gosh, I'm blown away by some patience that these people show. That is a fruit of the Spirit. And yet, if you were to go and talk to these people, they'd say, yeah, that I haven't always been like this. God has changed me from years of abiding and trusting and resting in him. 
So abide in Jesus and you will bear fruit. It's a promise. Now, the second truth is a bit of a harder truth. So the second truth is this. Those who abide in Jesus will be pruned for greater fruitfulness. John 15, 2 says, Every branch, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So what does Jesus mean by pruning here? Well, we know that pruning is the process of of cutting off dead branches to help a plant grow, right? But it also can be trimming or cutting back branches that are already bearing fruit so that they bear more fruit. You see, some fruit won't be able to reach its full potential unless that branch is pruned and it's able to redirect nutrients into that fruit. And so what Jesus is saying here is essentially, if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, I will trim you and I will cut you back on occasion so that you bear more fruit. Oh, like, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't love hearing that part of the verse. I mean, Andrew's translation would read, every branch that bears fruit will have more success. So it bears more fruit. I mean, to me, it makes sense, right? If I'm doing something well, tell me I'm doing it well, and then I'll keep doing it. But while our brain tells us the easy path is our desired path, intuitively we know this isn't true. Guys, help me out here. No pain, no gain. We know this. So listen, this is a promise and it is a dangerous one at that. If you are a Christian, you will be pruned. Period. Listen, this is not a a feel-good incentive to be a Christian. This is not a prosperity message, but this is the truth. And suffering and trials and persecution are in your future, and they are for your good and for God's glory. And And here's why I think that God wants us to embrace this, because how does he close that verse? That it may bear more fruit. I mean, who here doesn't want to bear more fruit? Nobody's here like, uh, I've reached my fruit quota. I'm good. Answered prayer. Oh my gosh, I've got answered prayer. Thankful prayer is just over. No, everybody wants to bear more fruit. But have you ever thought, track with me, have you ever thought that the very thing that we seek, namely comfort and easy living, is the very thing that may be holding us back from bearing more fruit? I mean, think about how counter-cultural this is. What does our culture tell us? Man, live the American dream. Make that money. Buy that house. Buy that car. Get your stuff. And if you suffer, don't worry about it. Just take this medication. Medicate it away. That's what our world tells us, right? I mean, I believe that one of the most insidious lies the devil has ever planted among us is that suffering and trials are a curse and that we should avoid them at all costs because it causes us to run from the very thing that God may be using us to bless us and to bear more fruit. And so I think it's time we put to death this notion that suffering and trials and tribulation mean that we're a bad Christian. I mean, this verse is telling us the exact opposite. 
Listen, some of you are going through some serious stuff right now, right? It's the holiday season and it always seems to hit at the holiday season. And I think that you need to hear this. That trial that you are going through right now may be the exact sign that you need that you are headed in the right direction and that God is working and that God is growing you for your good and for his glory. God is working. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time that you thanked God for the trials in your life? Like, and thank you, Jesus, for that job loss. Or thank you, Jesus, for that diagnosis. Or thank you, Jesus, for this relational conflict that's, that's in my life right now. And I, I know it sounds weird. It sounds weird coming out of my mouth. But if we truly believe that God is pruning us for our good and for his glory, then maybe that's how we should respond during the trial. Now, I'm not saying that any of us should ever reach a point where we eagerly seek the trial. Like, God, bring on the trial because I want some growth. Just bring it on. Right? I mean, even Jesus, the night he was being crucified, right, the night before he was being crucified, asked for God to take away the cup of suffering from him if it was his will. So I don't think we ever really eagerly seek it, but I do think that as we grow, we begin to process trials in a more mature way, and we start to appreciate what's beyond the trial. You ever finish an awesome workout? You haven't worked out in a while, you go to the gym, and you just go after it. Right? You finish that workout, you're feeling pretty good, and then the next morning comes. <laughs> right? And you wake up, you're like, oh, oof, oof. like that hurts so good. Because I know that I'm growing, that I'm getting stronger. I think that maybe that's how we should approach the trials in our life. Like, God, this hurts so good. Because I trust that God is doing this for my good and for his glory. Listen, the reality is, and you guys know this, we are in a lifelong marathon. Right? And we often will wrestle with anxiety and doubt and fear. And let's be honest, right? suffering and trials are brutal. And some days, all we can do is cling to the cross with everything that we have. And by faith, we scratch and we claw our way forward. I mean, here's the Christian life. The Lord prunes and we grow. 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 And we never reach a nirvana point, right, where, where the pruning stops because as long as we have breath in our lungs, God is not done with us. And he wants to prune us so that we bear more and more fruit for his kingdom. And listen, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys here. and I bet many of you guys can affirm this. Every single spiritual advance in my life, every single significant spiritual advance in my life has come on the heels of a just awful period. Right? Anybody else been there? And typically, for me at least, the larger the trial, the bigger the growth. And my two periods of biggest spiritual growth in my life were exactly those times. Number one was when I went on a mission trip to Costa Rica with New Life in 2011. And one of the guys on our mission trip died right in front of our eyes. 
leaving his four kids and his wife at home. And I had to wrestle with how could a good God let this happen to a man on a mission trip? That didn't make sense to me. And yet God used that to redeem me, to put me all in for Christ and say, I'm all in, Jesus. The second situation was in January of 2018 when I showed up to work and got pulled into my boss's office and she said, Andrew, you no longer have a job. And I had to go home and tell my wife and my three kids, my three-year-old, my two-year-old, and my newborn baby that daddy no longer had a job. Man, Andrew, it is easy, easy for you to believe when you've got the bank account and you've got the job, but man, can you believe, can you have faith when all of that is stripped away from you? Listen, some of you guys have been through things that would just make my trials pale in comparison. And some of you are going through those right now. But I bet that you could join me in saying, man, there's no way that I'd be where I am spiritually today without those trials in my life. I mean, who's, who's with me here? Like, raise your hand if you've been through some trials in life, and now you can look back and say, man, thank you, Jesus, for that. Keep them up for a second. Keep them up for a second. If you are going through suffering, if you are going through a trial right now, look around because this is your hope. God will not waste that trial that you are going through. He will use it to redeem the situation for your good and for his glory. It is a promise. All right, so... At this point, nobody's probably sitting there thinking, man, Andrew, this is the most uplifting sermon I've ever heard in my life. Like, oh, I've never been more excited to be a Christian. But I think you should because of point number three. And point number three is this. Abiding in Jesus is ultimately for our joy. John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Christian, do not miss this. Do not miss this or you will end up being in a legalistic, begrudging, and dead relationship with God that does not bring him glory and does not bring you joy. God ultimately wants you to abide in him because he knows it's the most joyous thing you could ever experience. Listen, when you abide, think about this. When you abide, you are literally plugging yourself into the source of eternal life. You're plugging yourself into the source of truth in a world of no truth. And just like grace, this is 100% a gift from God. It's not something we've done on our own. That my joy may be in you. It's his joy, the joy of the creator in us. Really? And notice that he says joy. He doesn't say happiness. He says joy. And we know the difference, right? Happiness is based on happenings. If I get a raise and a promotion, I am happy. If I get fired, I am sad. Happiness is cheap. It's surface level. It's here one moment and it's gone the next. But joy, joy is a deep soul satisfaction that transcends circumstances. Oh man, I think about, I think about joy like this. Joy, joy is like a filter, Imagine you're wearing these joy-filled glasses. Okay, it's the filter that lets us see beyond the facade of this world 
beyond what this world tells us about ourselves, beyond what the world tells us about what's going around, around us. And it's a joy. Joy is a filter that allows us to see beyond the trial and to see the growth that God is doing. That's joy. And it's the same filter that allowed our Lord and Savior to see beyond the nails, to see beyond the mocking, beyond the jeering, and to gladly take on the cross for us. Man, Hebrews 12, 2, listen to these words. I love these words. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross because of joy, because of future joy. Man, I love this verse for so many reasons, but one of which is that it shows us that you don't have to be happy to have joy. You guys know that? I mean, it says Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. It didn't say Jesus had a, ha- had a smile on his face, just happily went and took on the cross. No, it was brutal. But joy allowed him to see beyond the trial. Listen, if you're going through a trial right now, you need to hear this. You don't have to be happy with a big smile on your face, pretending like nothing is phasing you. I know these trials can be brutal, but joy gives us hope. Hope of the good that is to come, and that hope will never let you down. Never let you down. Paul says in Romans 5, 3 through 5, we rejoice, joy. We rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. And that is our hope. If you are a Christian, you have a hope that will never disappoint. A hope that can help you see beyond the trial and see the growth that is to come. Man, you guys want some of that joy? And I know I do. And what Jesus is saying here is just abide. That's it, just abide. And that fruit of joy will come to you as well. And so in summary, here are my three points today. Number one, abiding in Jesus is the only way we bear fruit. Number two, those who abide in Jesus will be pruned for greater fruitfulness. And number three, abiding in Jesus is ultimately for our joy. But now what? Okay, how do, how do we remain constantly connected, constantly dependent on God? What does that actually look like? And to answer that question, I want to introduce you to the concept of rule of life. Rule of life has been around for a long time. I did not create rule of life. Rule of life actually started in the 4th century. And it was popularized by John Calvin in the 1500s. And rule of life is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything that we do. And so it's establishing habits that put God at the center of our work time, Instead of our family time, our play time, our church time, whatever it is. And it's not just your time praying. It's not just your time studying scripture. It's all of your activities throughout the day, all of which could be used to glorify God. Now, why, why do we do this idea of rule of life? Well, by crafting a rule of life, we become intentional about the forces and dynamics that are shaping who we are becoming. And who here knows that every moment of every day, we are being shaped we are being formed by some force or dynamic that's out there. Or maybe it's our coworkers or our friends or the TV or the radio. 
Or maybe it's our phone, right? The main offender. You do, like one swipe on your phone, and the world's agenda is just pounding you down. Right? And rule life is about saying, enough! No, I'm done with letting the lies of this world just crash over me moment by moment. I want to soak my mind. I want to soak my mind in the calm waters of the source of life, the source of truth, the source of joy, and I am taking control of the forces and dynamics that are shaping who I am becoming. That's why we do rule life. All right, so at this point, you're probably thinking, let me get this straight. You want me to stay constantly connected to God every moment of every day. Um, Andrew, that is awesome. I love your heart, man, but um, a little bit idealistic there, right? There's no way I can add all this stuff to my life. Have you seen my plate? I mean, I gotta wake up, I gotta take my, I'm gonna make food for lunch, I gotta make all this stuff, take my kids all around. I mean, I can give you five minutes in the morning and then I've got to go, man. I can't add all this stuff to my life and I am right there with you. And while you may not be able to add, you may be able to reshape what you are doing. And this quote from John Calvin was the aha moment that I needed to see that this was actually attainable. And he describes rural life like this. He says, rural life is weaving into the natural rhythms of your life, abiding with Jesus Christ. Look, all of us have rhythms or habits of our life. Right? Every one of us woke up today, and there's a certain thing that we do when we wake up, and when we drive to work, there's a certain thing that we do, and lunchtime, and when we go to sleep, there's all these habits that we have formed throughout their life. And rural life is about evaluating those habits and reshaping them to focus our gaze on Christ. Listen, for some of you, it may be reshaping some good habits. You've got a lot of good habits, but maybe you could reshape those to focus your gaze on Christ. But for some of us, right, it may be about replacing bad habits that have crept into my life. And I want to extract those. I want to prune those out of my life and replace those with a habit that is focusing my gaze on Christ. So it sounds good, but what does it actually look like? What's the practical application of this? Well, rural life is about reframing your daily, your weekly, your monthly, or even your annual habits that recenter your gaze upwards towards Jesus. It's the daily one-on-one time that you spend with God in prayer and studying his word. Right? Or it's taking hold of your commute. And maybe instead of listening to ESPN Talk Radio, you are listening to the audio Bible or a Christian podcast. Or it's prayer walks as you walk from meeting to meeting. I love doing this. When I'm walking from meeting, I've got 20 seconds for a meeting. I'm just praying, Jesus, renew my mind. Give me words to speak. Give me ears to hear. Call my heart for this meeting, Jesus. Let me hear what you want me to hear. Right? Just keeping a pulse every moment throughout the day. Or maybe it's praying with your spouse every night before you sleep. I mean, I'm not going to sleep until I pray with my spouse. Or it could be a weekly habit. So maybe it's the weekly attendance of small group. Jesus, I know I need community, so I'm going to prioritize my life around this. I'm going to make it a priority. Or maybe it's creating monthly date time with your spouse or your kids where you, where you create time where you can actually share what God has been teaching you. And these types of habits don't just accidentally happen. It's not like you just trip into this. Right? They happen with prayer, they happen with discernment, and they happen with planning. Now, every one of us is at a different point in this journey. Right? Some of you have this rule of life thing down. 
You don't call it rule of life, but you've got habits that just shape who you are becoming each and every day, and that is awesome. I would say share that with others. Make disciples of others showing them that. But some of us are looking at this thing like, man, that, I don't even know where to start. That looks like Mount Everest to me. But no matter where you are, there's always one step forward that we can take. What is that for you? Maybe you're new to this Christianity thing. Or maybe you, you would honestly say, look, Andrew, yeah, 2019, I was a little disconnected. I wasn't really abiding in Christ in 2019. And for you, maybe it's about reading his word, getting in his word daily. Maybe that's your next step. And maybe you've been wondering, man, God, where are you? I've been hearing from you. But how can you if you are not reading his word? Wanting to hear from God but not reading his word is like me wanting to hear from my spouse but not actually speaking to her. God is speaking to you through his word. Maybe that's your step, getting in the word this year. For some of you, you've been walking with Christ for decades. And maybe for you, it's about taking one little step and saying, maybe I need to transform my commute time. Maybe I need to incorporate this idea of, of prayer walking or one of a million different other things. But what is that for you? On your sermon notes, you've got this box at the back, and it's your next steps. What is your next step? As we go throughout this, we pray, as we worship, I just ask you to prayerfully think, what is your next step? And write it down into that box. Now, while rural life was popularized by John Calvin, there was one who did it better, and his name was Jesus. I mean, think about it. Didn't Jesus have the ultimate abiding in God? I mean, he's part of the triune God. He's part of the Trinity. Imagine that, abiding with God. Remember what verse 10 said? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Jesus is constantly abiding in the love of the Father. And even on earth, while he was physically separate from God, didn't he weave abiding into his life? Didn't he regularly draw away from the crowds and spend one-on-one time with God? Didn't he regularly spend time, an intentional time with community, with his disciples? Didn't he regularly spend time reading and reciting scripture? And boy, that abiding bore some amazing fruit, didn't it? Listen, Jesus was never disconnected. Never disconnected, except for that one moment. You guys know what that one moment was? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, bearing the weight of our sins, that moment when he screamed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And th- think about that moment for a second. Jesus, the very spoken word of God, gave up union with God, which should never happen in eternity past, will never happen in eternity future. He gave up union with God so that we could experience union with God. Are you kidding me? I mean, in that moment, God literally turned his back on Jesus. I mean, let's, let's dwell on this for a minute. Man, it hurts us if a friend of ours turns their back on us, doesn't it? And if somebody's close to us, like a spouse turns their back on us, man, that can ruin us. But this is God and Jesus. 
who had always been together in perfect harmony and perfect unity, and God turns his back on Jesus because all he can see is our horrific sin weighing on him. And you guys think the nails hurt? Imagine that pain. And in that instant, we who repent of our sins and abide in Jesus became white as snow, forgiven and declared righteous. Listen, if you are not a Christ follower today, I am so, so glad that you are here. This is literally the invitation of a lifetime to put your faith, to put your life in the hands of this all-loving, all-powerful Savior who came and died for us to make a way so that we could experience union with God forever and ever. Do not miss this chance. Take hold of this opportunity today. So I have been praying for months at this point that God would speak to many or speak to all of us today. And maybe he's saying to you, draw near to me in 2020. Like 2020 is the year. Let's go. 2020 is the year. Draw near to me in 2020. Or maybe he's saying, listen, trust in me and believe in me for the very first time. Whatever that is, take action. Please, I plead with you. Write down what you're going to do. Talk to somebody. We're going to have prayer partners come up on either side of the stage. Come and talk with them and pray for them. They would love to pray for you. Love to point you in the right direction. So, may 2020 be the year of renewed abiding in Christ for us. And may it be the year of life and fruit and joy everlasting. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we worship you, Lord. And I confess that I often think about you way too small. Lord, increase my view of you. Increase our view of you, Jesus, and see how awesome and how great you are. Help us be in awe of you. Lord, you are worth it. You are the source of life. You are the source of truth. Jesus, help us abide in you in 2020. Lord, it's only through your spirit that you can make this message sticky, that we could take something and start this snowball effect where we can start to abide and experience the life and the truth and joy that you have in store from us. So Lord, for every person here and for myself included, Jesus, give us our next step. What is that for us? And help us take that on in 2020. And Lord, fill us with joy. Show us the fruit that you can do when we abide in you, Jesus. We cling to that promise. And Lord, for those who are suffering today that are going through a trial, Jesus, show them the hope that you bring. Show them the joy. Show them what's beyond the trial and help them endure. Help them endure in your name, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.